You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes, reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that doesn't pay docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze of always accelerated costs and decelerated reimbursements. Meet those making a difference with the host, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. Welcome to Primary Care Cures. Welcome back to Primary Care Cures. We're glad you're listening. Today we have as a guest, Dave Berg. Dave, um, we have an interesting problem in primary care. It's been a bad business model for a long, long time. And not only is it a bad business model, we now have epidemic burnout. If you look at the top six specialty categories of burnout in healthcare, uh, primary care takes the lead on four of the six. And even nurse practitioners, they have the same problem. PA, it's the same problem. There's a 50-50 chance that a doctor you're talking to is burned out and unhappy with their life, unhappy with their career choices, and they feel trapped. So um, now I'm going to tell you a personal story. My daughter-in-law uh, is at one of the three Harvard hospitals in Boston, and she's a uh, resident there, and she's in her third year. And she told us a few months ago that she's dropping out of medicine. She's not interested in pursuing a career, even though she's Harvard-educated. And instead, she's enrolled in Harvard MBA school, and uh, she's burned out. I said, what happened? And she said, well, I'm at one of the finest hospitals in the world, one of the most respected institutions on the planet for healthcare, and I had trouble getting paid when I worked extra hours. I had trouble with the way they were focused on profit instead of focused on outcomes. And she said, I want to devote my life on the business side to correcting these issues and fixing the broken model that is healthcare. So as an MD, MBA, she's going to be able to name her ticket. But um, I experienced, good gosh, her parents paid for quite a education there. And now they're getting, um, I don't want to say no benefit for the healthcare spend, but they're getting uh, somebody that just burned out at age 25. What a joke. So here's my question, Dave. If you, first of all, what attracted you into healthcare? Um, what attracted you into primary care, especially? You have Arrowhead Clinics, which is... Uh, 400 patients a day. You have uh, one of the largest, what we'd call a mega clinic in Arizona. Um, you're delivering care every day and you found a way to make primary care work. So what did you see was broken with the model? How did you rethink the model and how are you? I would say it's fair to say you're in the top 1% of earners. And if you want to look at a revenue per patient, if you want to look at an EBITDA, if you want to look at the number of uh, earnings per doctor, there's almost no way you can slice your business and not say you're not a one person performer in primary care. What's your success ticket? So you said something initially and uh, that your daughter thought that one of the problems that she, the way she identified is it was all about profit. And um, I would disagree with that because, and, and I think it, this nuance matters. It's all about revenue. It's not about profit, right? So revenue minus expense is profit. So I think profit is good. And I think if you don't focus on profit, you have to increase revenue. If you increase revenue, you gotta increase productivity, you've gotta do, right? There's all kinds of things that happen. My focus has been on profit. 
but that mainly on the expense side of it. So how do I get more profitable by lowering my revenue? Because I know the marketplace is not going to tolerate more revenue. They don't want to pay me more. And, uh, but, they, but I do want to make more profit. And so that means that that's about creating efficiencies. It's about being smart. It's about understanding that not all revenue is equal. So revenue that $100 of revenue that costs me $99 to deliver is not as good as $50 of revenue that only costs me $40 to deliver. Make sense? Mm -hmm. I would actually say that the, the profit is $10 in the second example, $1 in the first. But because of the simplicity that goes with half the revenue, it's not just 10 times better. It might be 20 times better. It's significantly better. There's another multiplier on there. So that's how I think about every service that we do and every contract we have. It's not just about revenue. I love it when the revenue is less, but the profit is more because simplicity is built into that, um, in, into that paradigm. So if I'm a pediatrician, I'm going to have a maybe vaccines uh, before school. I might have a well check once a year. I might see that patient twice. If I'm an internal medicine doc, that's a whole different story. We'll talk about that later. But family practice, I'll see a patient once a year. So as a revenue model, they're coming through as a non-recurring revenue. So they're not coming back more than once, maybe twice a year if they're sick, which means that my model is depending on lots and lots of volume, which as you said, I've got to get more productive or I've got to just bump up my hours or I've got to see more patients per hour. Or change the revenue. Or change the revenue. Change the revenue. So there are, it's multifactorial, as you said. So mm -hmm. I could turn it into a monthly recurring revenue type service, but what, um, like a direct primary care play. That's, a, that's an option, and we do that. But I could, but a first move that we do before we do that, that's, an, that's a very important move. But to me, that's an amplifier move. Mm -hmm. If you do only that, well, you could still bring in your monthly recurring revenue of $100 a month, but spend $99 a month. Right. What good is that? Yeah, you change the revenue, but your profit is still, you got other problems. You're just trading problems. I would rather figure out how do I get the revenue less, the cost of my service less, so that it's easier for people to buy bite sizes of it or lots of it, or even buy enough where an employer can buy it and give it away. It's mm -hmm. so inexpensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd rather do that first. And so let me give an example. Um, if I have, let's just take Medicare. And I take an average 15-minute primary care spot. I'm going to make up some numbers here, but you'll get the concept. Um, let's say I'm going to make $80 in revenue for a 15-minute primary care spot. $80 in revenue. After I pay my doctors, my medical assistant team, I do the billing, my billing gets paid, everybody gets paid. I pay for my malpractice insurance. I, have the, I pay for all my documentation, my EMR, all the costs go into this. I might have 5% left over. Well, 5% of $80 is, Ron? Four bucks. $4 a profit. Okay, $80 in, spend all this money, all this complexity, I get $4 left. If I don't do it well, don't manage it well, I might only have three. I manage it really well, maybe I can get to six, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I can double the profit if I'm really efficient and I go to 6%, six, $6 out of the, not, out of the uh, $80. Mm -hmm. Because Medicare as a form of revenue is a, has a lot of friction in it. There's a lot of risk in it. There's a lot of cost in getting that revenue in. Now, I created a company called Redirect Health that you're familiar with, and uh, my clinics use Redirect. So Redirect Health hires my clinics to see some of our the Redirect Health members. So a Redirect Health member, when it goes to my clinic, 
it works out to we're paid and let's just say it works out to much less than eighty dollars let's say it works out to sixty dollars a visit not eighty sixty dollars of revenue not eighty dollars of revenue which would in the surface you would make you think that medicare is a better payer because it pays twenty dollars more that's thirty three percent more than redirect health pays my own clinic however to deliver that service only cost me thirty dollars now that's you see that so my profit now on sixty dollars of revenue for that fifteen minute spot is thirty dollars. I would take thirty dollars on sixty dollars of revenue over four dollars on eighty dollars all day long. So I'm a primary care physician across the street from Arrowhead. What are you doing different to bring your to bring that cost and that expense down so low? Okay. So understanding where the cost is and insurance rules government rules, there was a, their expenses are comply with. And not only you comply with them today, you better be doing the work today to make sure that if you have an audit in two years, three years, that you can survive the audit because if you don't, you're going to end up losing top line revenue, the entire $80 three years from now. And nobody's got that, that money's been spent. Our average chargeback letter, we get them quarterly, is about $130,000. If I didn't have the staff to fight this, and we win them all, we've never lost a chargeback or recoupment um, because we have good documentation. But if we didn't have the staff, like many primary care physicians, we would be stuck in the position of having to give up hard-earned revenue that we earn fair and square. Um, mm -hmm. I see doctors every day that lose to recoupments because they just, they're not set up as a business. Their billing right. company's not uh, yeah. backing them up. So let me bring back to the concept of all revenue is not created equal. Mm -hmm. It is about profit. Mm -hmm. And we should be talking about profit. So when a, when a, a payer comes, uh, we have a deal with a payer, let's talk about, okay, it doesn't matter how much they're going to pay us. And that's what everyone seems to care about. What's the rate? What's the rate? What's the rate? I don't really care about the rate. I'll take half the rate. I want to know about what's the expense you're going to create, the friction in my system. How much billing do I have to do? How many times do I have to touch the bill? Do I have to send statements out? Do I have to collect money from people? So I love deals where I do not have to be a collection agency and collect money, have a whole department to collect a $15 copay from people. Okay. To collect deductibles from people to take that risk. Because the only reason why I need $100 or $80 or $150 a, a 15 minute visit is because my expenses are so high. Well, let me, let me bring this back to earth again with my question. My question was, I'm family doc X across the street from your clinic. I think that what I heard in your answer is, if all of my 2,500 patients were redirect health patients, or if 50% were redirect health, or 20% of my patients were redirect health uh, members, I would have basically a direct primary care portion of my bill. I wouldn't have all those headaches and all those expenses and all that friction mm -hmm. with. Your revenue would come down, but your profit would be... 10 times more, double more, five times more, depending on so many factors. But not just redirect health, any kind of direct relationship. The closer you can get to the money, the less friction there is in between, the less middlemen that you have to pay and follow rules for. And um, I know it's not an easy thing to do because it is a scary thing to do because um, we have these expense structures now. But the the things that we've done in uh, at Arrowhead Health Centers to uh, – protect against non-profitable revenue is we've just started to say no to those contracts and we've replaced it with other types of contracts. Um, and mo the best contracts are the contracts with the user, with the patient, with the consumer. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you a Harry Potter magic wand 
to wave a wand over to primary care and eliminate burnout. And you and I have two completely different solutions for that problem. Mm -hmm. Your answer, if I'm reading you right, Dave, is you're going to wave a wand and make sure every, every uh, primary care physician is looking at their revenues and putting some portion in a direct primary care subscription model. I'm paying 50, 70, $100 or a cash. Month. Or cash. I just want you to be direct. Okay. Like get get direct to the money, whether it's monthly recurring. Again, that's an amplifier. Mm -hmm. But first step is get direct. Okay. So get direct to the user. And when a user has a six thousand dollar deductible, they can't even use it. It's silly to me that they would even show their blue cross card or an insurance card. It's silly they would even show that when they have a deductible of six thousand dollars when they go see a chiropractor or primary care doc. Just set, cause you will just set up an arrangement with them. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't buy insurance that touched primary care if I was a consumer. But of course, consumers are going to do that. Mm -hmm. But there are many consumers that uh, can't afford the traditional insurance model. Right. The advice I'd give doctors is learn how to market. Mm -hmm. Just the basic stuff. Just learn how to do basic marketing so you can go solve a problem for the people who can't get health care because they can't afford the out-of-pockets for the insurance model. And be a hero to them by giving them a direct relationship that's not your normal fee. Because you don't need 80 bucks a visit if you don't have an insurance company. You can take $50 a visit and make more profit if they're paying cash. So we, magic, all, we all know that. Harry Potter magic wand number one is... Every PCP should right now go to their 20% of their cohort and convert them over to a $50 a month or $70 a month payment. And 20% can afford that. 80% and cannot. And figure, figure out how to give them, get your staff. So one of the things we're do, we've done in our office is it's about simplicity. It's about transparency of what things take in time and money. And, um, but from calling in, to going to the desk, to checking out, to checking in, there's priceless. Everybody mm -hmm. knows what things are going to cost, what something's going to cost before it even happens. And uh, our focus on the other end of that is just make sure there's no extra cost that's unnecessary that creeps in because we want to make sure that cash amount is is uh, profitable. And that way we don't need as much cash from our, from our members. But being able to give people a cash price on a one-off is very, very valuable. Yes. It gets closer to the money. I get the direct primary care movement. It's all about a membership. And yes, that's better. But when we say, no, you have to sign up for a whole, uh, for pay me monthly, Ron, and your family, or you can't get any care. That's not my deal. I want to say to you, Ron, you can pay me per visit. And here's what the cost is. And there's no middleman. There's no billing insurance. But if you want to do a membership, you can do that as well. And then it's up to me to create a compelling offer for you. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I would never do, you have to, I would never um, use my leverage to make you buy a monthly membership when all you want is a one-off. I want 60 bucks one time. And yes. you're saying you can give that to me. All day long. Arrowhead. And that'll be profitable too. Good. You're an engineer at heart. You're an engineer in your soul. You're a, you're a uh, you, you look at problems from an engineering standpoint, I would say, even though you're not a trained engineer. And you showed me numbers a year ago. It might have been when I first met you two years ago, but the, of what your cost is for skin cancer treatment, what your cost is for chiropractic and, and well mm -hmm. treatment for physical medicine, what your cost is for the flu, what your cost. Mm -hmm. you, there were so many verticals, and compared to the rest of the cost in Arizona, you were sometimes half, sometimes one third, but you were often 40 or 50% less, even in the things like skin cancer that you think would be expensive anywhere. Yeah. 
how in the world do you bring your cost down so low to make that? I don't understand the economics of half. How, explain to me what you do. What's the magic that you have to bring your cost so low? And I, as a, as a customer of Redirect Health, I know the answer. I want our listeners to hear your answer. I, I, I mean, I keep going back to the same thing. It's about identifying the problem in, a, in an accurate way and then in also in a precise way. Right? So I really believe that the problem that with healthcare in general, but also more specifically in my business, is complexity that hides cost of time and money. It hides time, it hides money, and there's a cost of both. And um, so my answer is simplicity and it's full transparency. Let me tell you what I it's, it's about. It's about getting rid of stuff. So a lot of people think about how do I reduce the cost? Why not just think about how do you eliminate the need for the cost? So let me give an example redirect health. I always start with irritating, annoying things from the consumer's perspective. That's where I like to start. And there's, there are big dom there's dominoes there, the big domino that knocks down a lot of things. So I'll, I'll give you an example of something that I've played out hundreds of times in my, in my engineering thinking. Let's talk about, let's break down the healthcare process, the delivery of primary care into 100 pieces, 500 pieces. You see me do it in my storybook, right? It's just me just breaking it down. And now let's put it back together. But let's put it, but everything we put back into our system, let's make it justify itself as useful or valuable to the consumer. Let's, right? So it could be it makes the doctor's job easier so the doctor can focus more on the consumer. But let's make everything go back to the, the consumer, the patient, the person actually getting the care, the user of the care, even the purchaser of the care, the mom paying for the care for the baby, right? So let's, let's call that the customer, the purchaser and user as a unit, the customer. Um, Think of all these things. Think, think of the, um, the copay that's in the system. We're building a, a new system for our people. Would you put a copay in there? No deductible, no copay. It's irritating. It's annoying. Yeah. Take it out. What about an EOB? What about a statement? What about a billing department? EOB's what about a CPT code? Worthless. Who does a CPT code serve? Who does an ICD-10 code serve? Blue Cross. Exactly. It has no purpose for the user, purchaser user, the customer in the system. So, one big move that we made was we said, what? let's get rid of the copay. Let's just get rid of it. Go to zero. And here's what we, here's what we knew as soon as we came up with that. And I, I actually, I remember that it was about two in the morning when I just had this epiphany that if I get rid of the copay, I also get rid of the credit card machine and I get rid of the check drawer and the, the, the and I get, rid of, the I get rid of the accounting, the, the chair that the accounting person sat in. I got rid of the billing. I got rid of the, I didn't need CPT codes. If there's no money transfer, no copays, I don't even need a EOB. I don't even need a statement, patient statement. I don't need the stamp. I don't need the person to lick the stamp to send the statement out. So much of the cost just goes away. It goes away. And, uh, but I also realized this, if I lowered the copay from $25 to one penny, all that cost stayed. Mm -hmm. I also realized that if I lowered the if I lowered the copay to minus one penny, where I actually gave people back money to come in, I still needed all that accounting, all that legal, all that statements, and all that stuff. So the magic was zero. So it wasn't about how do I lower copays to make it affordable. It's about how do I remove the need for the copay as a big domino. So removing administration is not removing, eliminating it 
unless it creates value for the user, the purchaser, the customer, um, was a, is a, has been a big move throughout our organization. So if something irritates or annoys a customer or doesn't create value, we find a way to eliminate it. And with that elimination, it goes all the costs of managing it, training it, fixing the problems, the customer service calls go away. I know, I know you're not a psychiatrist, but I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and talk about burnout. Um, burnout, good gosh, one of my doctors in internal medicine, I'd go to lunch with him and he'd say, you know, Ron, I haven't had a raise in 21 years. Thank God for this building because the equity is going to be the only way I'm going to retire. He goes, and my wife is still paying school debt. She's in her late 40s. And we don't get along that well because I hate my life. And he, I asked about his daughter to try to get a smile out of him. Nothing. The guy was a total burnout. So you could have just like touched the marshmallow to him. It would have browned. And that poor doctor is represented by half of the primary care physicians out there today. I remember when the good looking farmer reps would come by, he would go up and take a nap upstairs because he just didn't want a human interaction more than he had to. He wouldn't even go see the farmer reps. So he was just serving his time in prison until he got out, sold that building and had a life. That's what he was waiting for. You have 20 providers, I would call them mid-levels and MDs and DOs and nurse practitioners and PAs that work for you. Am I right? And that's yeah, my right range of 20. And at any given day, you might have 14 or 15 of them working, right? So if I do the math mm -hmm. on 15 into 400 patients a day, they're seeing 20, 25 patients oh, a day. Oh, more than that. Oh, more than 400. Oh, yeah, patients. probably closer to 30, 35. Yeah. 30 to 35. Yeah. Patients a day. Oh, I see 400, 400 for the whole global enterprise. So let's say, okay, so 30 to 35 patients a day yeah. per doctor. Yeah, per okay. provider. Okay. Do you think, or do you know, or do you suspect that any of those 20 providers are burned out? Um, I suspect there's elements of it. I mean, there's, it's way more complicated. Their lives are a lot more than just what they do in the office. They've got families, they've got kids, they've got aging parents. Right? We've all got these things. They've got cars that are breaking down. They've got uh, windshields that need to be repaired and they don't have time to do it. And they've got kids going, I need a better backpack. And we've all got lives like that. So life is complicated. And um, my job is not to fix that for them. My job is to make it so that they can make the money they need um, with, the, with the reward of not just money, but also of uh, feeling like they're doing something bigger and they're participating in something bigger and worthwhile and meaningful. And a lot of the burnout that I see in people's lives is just a lack of purpose and meaning on that purpose. And um, one of the things that we do at Redirect Health is, I mean, you cannot get into my company if you are not on fire for our purpose, our mission. If you are not in love with our customer who is shut out of the traditional insurance model of healthcare. You just can't get in. So the way that I get rid of people is I don't hire people who are likely to burn out if they're in a very meaningful environment. You know, it's interesting you use the word customer. Uh, most of my friends that are in the 1% club in primary care use the word customer, not patient. Why uh, did you just say customer? We never say patient. So our job, so think of mom with a medical degree, Yeah. right? My wife, Janice. Janice's job is to make sure that every one of the members of our family never becomes a patient. Patient's bad, member's good, right? And now when they, we do become a patient, our job, her job, is to help us not become an unpatient, to unpatient us, mm -hmm. to get us healthy, to get us back into the family. And so that's the concept. And um, 
so we refer to our people who are on at redirect health as members, but at Arrowhead health centers, where it's a more traditional model, but a lot of cash pay and uh, some insurance too, and Medicare, um, we'll refer to them as, uh, as customers. And, but I want to, so at the risk of uh, offending somebody in the audience, and I know this is not a popular way of thinking in the medical community. And I think that the way the medical community thinks about it today is one of the, the one of the reasons amongst many of burnout is the way they think about their role. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, we think about a doctor up here and a patient down here. And you think about the responsibility, the doctor's job is to be smart, to know it all, to stay up to date, to recommend a treatment. The patient's job is to listen to the doctor, to wait in the waiting room quietly for an hour, for half an hour, for three days, to, I mean, to wait three days for an appointment, three weeks for an appointment. Because, of course, the longer I wait for an appointment, the longer I wait in the waiting room, the more important the doctor must be. It's an alpha beta model. Alpha beta model. My job is to comply with the doctor's recommendations. And think about our words, non-compliance. Mm -hmm. Ron is non-compliant. That's a curse. You just cursed me. Exactly. Right? So that's what that means. I don't like that. But look at other relationships like, uh, say, an accountant or an attorney and their client, consultant-client relationship. So you get doctor-patient relationship. And I'm showing a, you know, a Grand Canyon stretch. Right. Versus side by side. Side by side. Yeah. But now think about you go to Nordstrom's or Jiffy Loops or Safeway. You've got a customer with a store, with a team. The team's job, the store's job is to comply with your needs as a customer. So that's very fundamental in how we think about it is that our job as a team is to comply with the needs of our customer. It's in your parking lot, for God's sakes. I walked, I couldn't get a parking space because it all said customer parking everywhere. Patient parking. Patient but you know, I had to, here, here's the thing. When my first, uh, yes, so my first stencils that I had to, that didn't work is I put customer parking. And guess what? Nobody parked in it. Even my patients wouldn't park in it. So I had to change it to patient parking for no other reason than my patients would not acknowledge they were a customer. They, they were weirded out because they parked because it was the only parking spots. The best parking spots say patient parking today. There was a time where for about two weeks where the best parking spots said customer parking. All week, what would happen is people would come in and go, is it okay if I park there? Is it okay if I park there? I go, yeah, you're a customer. They didn't get it. Let me continue the walkthrough. So I now am entering your lobby. I feel like I've arrived at beautiful glass doors with chrome handles. I, write, I look to my right and left, there's beautiful artwork with really cute sayings on it that talk to your culture, that speak to your feelings for your customer. And then I walk past the receptionist who's extremely well-trained, and I have a chance to grab a few brochures to learn more of what some of the ancillaries are like chiropractic. And then I go back and I'm on a beautiful wooden floor and I go into an exam room that has a glass door. Now it's milk, milky glass, it's not see-through, no HIPAA issues there, um, and you can't hear anything through it. But it's a beautiful, modern, solid core with a glass door. It's the, in other words, your offices are, I have arrived. I am important. It's not uh, a glass with somebody moves the glass aside and says, well, what do you want? You know, I call them the dragon lady. No, your receptionist is a very attractive, very well-trained. She sits at an open desk. Beautiful. A lot of, and that's not even the waiting room. That's just a greeting room. It's gorgeous. Then they go into a waiting room that's much more nice, as probably in the top 2% any waiting room I've ever seen. Um, you, you, you've rethought really the, the patient experience. In fact, you probably have woken up many midnights thinking about the patient experience and coming up with a voila moment, right? Well, you saw me fix uh, a loose door handle 
on that that yeah. last. Yeah, uh, you you was apoplectic over the two <laughs> two loose handles, and you put a guy in charge. Your job is to have a fit every time this handle comes loose. <laughs> I watched it. Uh, so it really comes down to making sure everybody knows their role, the handoff to them, the handoff from them. What is their role? And everybody's number one role is to create a, is to get people to tell their story about our company. So to promote, that's everybody's role. Dave, I'm looking at a little handbook that has probably about 75 pages that you have memorized. 57. 57 pages that you've memorized, and it's got initials on it that somebody has signed off on. It says, put people first and get people healthy. Put people it's, first, people get healthy. People get healthy. And it's got a lot of pictures and a lot of colorful uh, drawings in here, but it also is a manual for every position in your clinic. It's right. a position so, for So what's philosophy. important with that, with that manual is I want everyone in my company to have confidence that they know when they were a superhero in the, the customer experience that, that they're curating at that moment and the number one so they need to know the handoffs to them and their commitment to me is a raise their hand when the handoff's not good enough every single time I need help. and they will well they might need help because the person before them the handoff broke it didn't happen mm -hmm. right just like the world-class relay teams racing teams it's not about the fast runners yeah it's important but it's really about the handoffs and that, what do they practice? They train for the speed, they practice the handoffs. So the same thing, it's important. Everybody knows the handoffs to them and they know the responsibility of the handoff away from them. It's also important that they know um, that if they, if something, they can't do something that they need to call in help as you were, you were mentioning. But the main role of this book is so that everybody knows that they were a hero in the customer experience. So if you think about the front desk, Right? If you went to the front desk experience, um, the number one job of that person in the front desk, I haven't even got the book open, you do. I know it's tell your, get people to tell their Aero and Health Center story. Mm -hmm. So their job is to persuade that person so that they're happy and they feel respected and that they, they know they matter. So that when they go back and they meet with the medical assistant and then with the provider, it's harder and harder and harder for that person to feel disrespected, like they don't matter, they're not important. and it's really hard for the people downstream to screw up and hurt the whole experience. Matter of fact, it wouldn't be the first time, many, many times, I'll get a, um, like when we do surveys, I'll get a 10 out of 10 or net promoter score, and I'll hear something like this. Um, um, I got a parking spot, I got an appointment when I needed to, I didn't wait very long. Um, I was taken back right away. Um, everybody was so nice. Um, I know exactly what I owed and, uh, and Dr. Smith is pretty good at diagnosing too. And I get a 10 out of 10. It, but what, what it's about is creating an entire experience for that customer and getting them to evaluate the entire experience where everybody has a role in it. Well, this book is a uh, two or three days of training. It's, um, just, I'm reading the header introduction, which is your philosophy, who we are, which gets into mission, vision, values, how we do it, which gets into the whole loop of your engineered, uh, training what we do, the patient experience, what are the support roles, which is what you described the front desk. And then importantly, where we're going as a company in our amazing future and a core value scorecard. And this scorecard is worth its weight in gold by itself. I know you got this from Strategic Coach, right? Yeah, it's a, definitely. It's a Dan yeah. Sullivan product. But um, the core value scorecard is, you're, they're gonna score themselves, they're gonna measure themselves. And what, what do you learn as CEO from this scorecard? So what, what, we care, what I care about is number one, that 
everybody that works in our organization, everybody on our team, every team member is just on fire for our purpose. It's about making healthcare easy and truly affordable for people who feel shut out of the traditional insurance system today of healthcare, the shareholder system today. So it's about making it easy and healthcare easy and truly affordable. If that doesn't resonate with you and your heart and your gut and give you a visceral uh, response to the concept of somebody not feeling confident that they are prepared for tomorrow, if their kid breaks an arm or gets cancer or needs a school physical, you just can't work for us. Let me you, tell can't, you, about you, just can't, you just can't work with us, number one. Uh, number two is the core values. Okay. About just Are you going to obsess over the customer? Mm-hmm. Are you going to want to win as a team, not as a lone wolf? Are you going to be a continual learner and adapter and be flexible when things change? Our, our mission won't change. Our purpose won't change. Our values won't change. But how we get there is going to change every day if it has to change. Every, every minute if it has to change. So to make sure that people understand our values. So the way we score it is... Well, I want people who not only will take responsibility for their own love of our mission or our purpose of our customer, they'll take responsibility for their own um, eagerness to learn and to adapt and to win as a team. But I want the leaders who show potential when I invest in them to now help other people, to attract other people and help other people expand their obsession for our customer. And by doing in young, and when, when a lot of people complain about young people, my experience has been that when you give them a meaning that matters and you help them matter in a bigger purpose, they're the most loyal, the hardest working people you'll ever experience. They'll be harder than, they'll work harder than the baby boomers. They'll be more loyal than the baby boomers or the, the, the Gen Y or Xers. It's just, it's just about making sure they have meaningful purpose in their life and then showing them the rule book and say, here's how I like to think about it. This book right here, Ron, these are the answers to the test. Prove to me that you can ace the test if I give you that book. Mm-hmm. I, that's, all, that's all I'm doing. I'm speaking with Dave Berg. He's CEO of Arrowhead Health Centers. He's also CEO and co-founder of Redirect Health. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Um, let me describe Dave's body language. When he talks about insolvable problems like health care because of a $470 million lobby that you would basically get unelected if you proposed it. Um, you can't really solve healthcare without uh, tackling key issues that nobody's going to vote for in a, a Senate at a state level, at a federal level, and certainly at a local level in a, in a council or a county commissioner's role. So, but when he talks about his employees, when he talks about his culture, when he talks about the patient, the customer, Dave is about to jump out of his chair right now. I wish we had a video of this because the body language goes from like a zero to a 10 when we get into subjects he knows he can make a difference. And David knows he can make a difference with this book. He's challenged me to do this for my own company. It just looks so hard, but it's so easy. It's almost so easy that it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. Jordan makes a dunk look easy, but it's so freaking hard. He, yeah. he practiced 20,000 times to get that dunk. Um, Dave, so to close out this um, wonderful session where you've helped primary care providers hopefully avoid burnout by thinking differently about their model, that is the only way to avoid burnout, in my opinion. You guys start with the thinking. Yes. And that will guide the doing, and that will guide the, the feeling. That if comes from if that. you had a message for someone who's almost out of hope, or you had a message for a large system that wants to fix this burnout problem, if you had hope for someone who's actually maybe even contemplating suicide or planning a suicide, I know mm-hmm. that's a tall order for me to ask, but what message would you give somebody who's out of hope? 
Hmm. Man, you made it hard when you, you added the uh, suicide because you, you changed my mindset totally on where I would have gone with it. Um, okay, it's a gonna... con- you know what it is? It's a concept of perfection. Let it go. Right? Perfection is the enemy. Perfection is the enemy. Simplicity is the answer. Do you multiply things when you simplify it? Mm-hmm. That means simplify your life, simplify your practice, simplify all the stuff between the service you're providing and the money. Mm-hmm. Get them connected, mm-hmm. right? So, and get your expenses down, mm-hmm. right? Just simplify your life and simplify your practice and simplify and pay attention to the revenue. And, and the, there's a, every, all revenue has a price, Right. And sometimes that price is, is just um, the cost of a, another billing person. Sometimes it's the cost of, um, of working an extra hour of the day. Sometimes it's the cost of your soul. Mm-hmm. Right. All revenue has a price and just get really clear on what revenue makes sense for, for your life and just simplify and back up. And, and you, when you mention um, the burnout to the degree of people contemplating taking their own life, it gave me pause where I felt very confident in the answer until you said that. And then I, I, I'm trying to process on the spot here why I felt, and I think it's because there's, it helped me realize the responsibility in the answer mm-hmm. that I might not have felt if you hadn't mentioned that. You know, so everybody and, knows and, the and, veterans have a gigantic suicide rate. We're losing veterans, literally we're counting it by the hour, not by the day anymore. Doctors have to what, double the rate of yeah. suicide. So, so, so it goes back to like one of the core principles in, throughout that book is people matter. Mm-hmm these everybody matters people matter they all have we have strengths that um if we focus on people's on our strengths we go it's so much uh, it, it creates a collaboration it creates a respect it, it creates uh, loyalties but you think about the the toxic politics we're going through right now and the reality tv where it's all about how i can point out your flaws and i can be better because you have more flaws than me my gosh get out of that world just turn the TV off, turn the, just get rid of the YouTube, the, the, the Facebook feeds and the, just stop looking at it and folk, anything that doesn't speak to the strengths of people, everybody's got strengths. Now, unfortunately it's hard to see it, right? Regardless of your political persuasion, there are strong points, advantages. Imagine if we had a, imagine if we had a debate ever where all you were allowed to talk about was your own strengths. You weren't allowed to talk about your opponent's uh, weaknesses. It'd be a, just a different world. Well, the same thing goes on in your own head chatter, mm-hmm. right? And when you're talking to your, your employees, if you, all you're talking about is where they're messing up versus creating a, a, a strengths-based um, organization, I think a lot of the, the problems go away when we start just recognizing that everybody matters. Everybody's got strengths that matter. And um, your strengths are different than mine, Ron. Dave, I hope you've opened up the skulls of our listeners and blowing a little dust out and let them take a fresh look at a bad business model that can be fixed and can be made in a top 1%. How do people reach you to learn more about Arrowhead and to learn more about your model? If, uh, is there a way they can learn more or that they can uh, connect with you? Well, the, my website is redirecthealth.com and arrowheadhealth.com. Arrowhead Health is the, uh, the clinics we have here in Phoenix. Redirect Health is the, um, the health plan model that we've created for small businesses all over the country. But we also create it for families. 
here in Phoenix. And now I think we're just about to expand to another 41 states for individual families too. Um, so they can go to those two websites. My email address is david.berg, B-E-R-G, like iceberg, at redirecthealth.com. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two best ways to learn more. Okay. Be judicious and using that email, you guys. It's worth a lot of money. Thank you, Dave. And we will see you in another episode very soon, I hope. All right. Thank you. Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.